Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is our first new episode of 2021, and I'm delighted that we're back again uh, doing this podcast. Uh, 2020 uh, provided uh, us with a a great platform to begin this show. Uh, Certainly 2020 was a challenging year in so many respects, but the one bright spot for me was that uh, this show began and it's been a joy to do. And uh, a big part of that is uh, because my partner, Trip Mitchell, does it with me. Trip, how are you? I am great. And boxing had an amazing last six months. And all of a sudden it started off very quick uh, with a fight, Garcia fight. You've got some fights coming up on Showtime. It's got to be pretty great to get out of the gate like this. Yeah, um, the the year did start out well with uh, Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell, and a, and a, and a pretty good card overall uh, on that. And then, of course, as you mentioned, on January twenty third, we're going to have on Showtime Angela Leo and Stephen Fulton Jr. Uh, on the top of what should be a very good triple header with a couple of other extra uh, good fights as well. Uh, and so, boxing has in fact. Uh, got off to a decent start, and, I, and there are a lot of bo- a lot of good fights uh, already booked, and of course many more will continue. So trying to keep some of the momentum that boxing started to build up when it came back. Um, and I should mention also, by the way, that on this show uh, we're going to be uh, I'll be talking to Christy Martin, the uh, Hall of Famer, who is uh, of course one of the most iconic women boxers of all time. We're going to talk to her about her career and also about her dramatic personal story, which is a harrowing one uh, and one that luckily for all concerned uh, ended up on the right side of things with her now uh, living a a good and fruitful life and in fact working as a boxing promoter. So uh, we'll be able to talk to her. And uh, we also, of course, get your questions at Al Bernstein uh, on Twitter. And so we got a couple of those, too. Okay, first question coming from BXR. How does Tyson Fury do against the previous heavyweight greats that you saw live? It's really an interesting question. You know, one of the the one of the things you have to take into account in 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 comparing today's heavyweights to the ones from the past is the clear size differential. Now, size doesn't mean everything, uh, but because of the height and reach and the physical attributes that a number of the heavyweights have now, it makes them sometimes a tougher matchup for fighters that may have been more skillful, but just are smaller and would have disadvantages. Perfect example is if Tyson Fury fought Joe Frazier. I think Joe Frazier is a brilliant fighter and one of the great heavyweights of all time, but clearly he's at a disadvantage because he'd be giving away inches and inches in height and reach against Tyson Fury. And Tyson Fury has shown a really good chin, uh, at least, and because Deontay Wilder is certainly uh, a great puncher and would be a great puncher in any era. And Tyson Fury astonishingly got up from the the knockdown that he suffered there and took some of uh, Deontay Wilder's best punches. So 
when we juxtapose how he would do against fighters in the past, the one fighter I know he would not do well against is Lennox Lewis, who brings that same height and reach for the most part to the dance and a lot of power. And I think that would be a very tough fight uh, for Tyson Fury. But some of the smaller heavyweight champions of the past, I think Tyson Fury would have a a good chance to beat. Uh, George Foreman would be a tough matchup for him because he had a nut, just enough height. And the latter day, George Foreman had a terrific jab uh, and had he had an amazing chin. And so uh, he and Tyson Fury would be a fascinating matchup, to be sure. Um, and the, the really smaller heavyweights, like the Rocky Marcianos of the world, if you want to go all the way back, they'd have a problem with Fury because of that height and reach. And it would be it would be difficult for them. So it's kind of a mixed bag for him. Uh, but there are heavyweights from the past that, because of his sheer size, uh, I think he would he would do better against. So how did when Tyson came along and he was so much smaller? How did he do so well inside? What was his key well, to victory? I mean, Tyson was a more diminutive in terms of height, and he did fight bigger fighters. He fought six five guys, six six guys, and maybe. Tyson is a good one to talk about with Fury, too, because, uh, you know, Tyson in his prime would not be an easy man for Tyson Fury to face, <laughs> that's for sure. And some people would think Tyson would that Mike Tyson would be the winner in that fight. And he might because we've seen other fighters like uh, Cunningham put Fury down. And the theory is that Tyson, Mike Tyson's power uh might keep him down. Though, again, Deontay Wilder was a big puncher. But, you know, Mike Tyson, against the bigger fighters, would jab his way in, get on the inside, and then he would work those great combinations to the body and the head. Okay. And our second question is kind of an interesting question from a broadcast standpoint. Uh, Donovan Casp asks, how much studying do you do on a particular particular fighter leading up to the broadcast of a fight. Do you watch several of their fights or just highlights? Do you have your own notes or are you like Farhood and just know or remember everything? <laughs> well, Steve Farhood, my colleague at Showtime who does the Showbox series and also works with us on Showtime Championship Boxing doing uh, the scoring and also historical um, uh, notes and, uh, and features. And Steve, by the way, helps with all of us with our preparation for the Showtime Championship boxing show. So that's part of the answer to that question. And by the way, I can't do what Steve Farhood does. I'm not as smart as him. So I can't remember everything like he does. <laughs> um, the other, By the way, the other person that I've worked with over the years who had a photographic memory who could come to ringside with virtually no notes and remember everything was Dave Bontempo. Uh, Dave is amazing. He just remembers everything. Uh, for me, the way we prepare, it's twofold. One, of course, you do have, you look at uh, as much video as you can. Whatever's available of fighters, you want to look at it. And if it's on YouTube or we have a, a somebody, we have a, a, a fight that's not on YouTube, but we get a link to it. The idea is to watch as much video as you can. And I really have to watch it because I have to do the keys to victory which requires that you watch it and, and try to find out what you think the fighters will do. Then we have a series of notes. Uh, we have, uh, John Brister does a, a, for us a big 
package of notes. We get notes from the CompuBox people who talk to us about how many punches have been thrown in different fights uh, and, and who uses a jab more times than a round, et cetera. So we have those notes. Steve Farhood provides us with, with certain notes. And then I, on my own, uh, you know, we'll start Googling and looking through records and, and different interviews that the fighters have done, uh, whether it's on YouTube or it's uh, um, a digital, just an interview they've done with a writer. So the idea is to take as much information as you can, and we have tons of it. We are well taken care of in that regard. Uh, and then the final piece of the puzzle is we interview each fighter. Uh, we have a fighter meeting in which we can interview them. So that way, after we've looked at all this material, we can ask them their thoughts on something. So we have a plethora of information and any boxing broadcaster working for, for us or for, I think, or for a major uh, TV network that doesn't go into a fight with all the proper information, that's on them because it's all available. You just have to utilize it and uh and the amount of t of of material you you yourself have to unearth is really very little but still you want to do that if you can and i certainly try and do it uh as much as is humanly possible so it's you know preparation is they say for every hour you're on the air you need to do two hours of preparation and and that's probably an understatement i think uh of the process well, somebody that was prepared when she walked into the ring was uh, Christy Martin, who was uh, a amateur or a, 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 a professional champion uh, who started out in tough man contests, tough woman contests, and uh, graduated to professional boxing, of course, and had a 49 and seven and three record in her long and illustrious career, and it landed her into the Hall of Fame which she will be inducted into um, this coming year when they have uh, the inductions for both 2020 and 2021. And uh, she was a pioneer in uh, women's boxing and certainly helped pave the way for some of the uh, great stars of women boxing that we have now. And we had a chance to uh, get her to do an interview with me. And here's my chat with Christy Martin. Christy, uh, First of all, I'm delighted that you uh, had a chance to uh, join us today. Uh, I've been looking forward to getting yeah. a chance to chat with you uh, after all the years of covering your matches and knowing you through through all the years. And it's a journey that goes back, uh, you know, to the 1980s before you became uh, known as a as a well-known boxer. When you were getting involved in the sport, I, I know I've read a lot about how difficult that period was for you. How hard was it at that time when women's boxing was, you know, really getting in the pioneering stages? How hard was it for you to get fights, to just be involved in the sport? These ladies that are in boxing now can only imagine yeah. what it was like for me back in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, we, we had no tape on fighters. We didn't know if they had fought. Uh, a lot of my opponents had been in kickboxing before, right. uh, or maybe they did some form of karate or something. I, you had no idea. It was just, you got what you got when you, when you got in the ring. Um, so unlike today where you study tapes and all this and that, it, my whole thing, and I, I did keep this philosophy throughout my career. I had to worry about what I was going to do and let them worry about stopping what my plan was. 
and and because and that came from early on not having the tapes and not knowing what I was getting night fight night and it had to be hard just to literally get a fight I mean I'm sure getting on cards was was difficult because in many cases they didn't know who to go find for an opponent and what do you do absolutely I mean first of all they don't want to put a woman on a fight card right yeah they weren't too keen on having you in the first place right Right. Absolutely. They didn't want me on the first place. So, you know, you cross over that hurdle and then, okay, now we have to find an opponent. And then, you know, what if that opponent week of the fight falls out, then where do you go? And, and that's still the problem today that yeah. I have putting women on my fight cards. And then, if, you know, replacing an opponent at the last minute is very tough. Um, but it was so hard for me to fight that even in the early nineties, my mother promoted a show in uh, Princeton, West Virginia. So I could have a fight. Oh, that's um, amazing. Wow. It started to heat up after that. Well, eventually you would get with one of the, the most prestigious promoters in the sport, Don King. How did that come about? How did you uh, end up with a connection with Don King? And, and how was he able to see the potential in you as a, uh, as a, um, a boxing star? You know, I have no idea why he took the chance on me, to be honest. Um, but my connection was Jesse Robinson. Who, who was at the time was training heavyweight fighters for King. And Jesse was training um, a young heavyweight, Gerald Mitchell, in Daytona Beach, Florida. And Je he came in, Jesse came in and saw me sparring. And uh, actually, I had long hair at the time, had it all up under my ear. And Jesse was like, who's that guy? And, and the guys <laughs> in the gym started laughing. And he was like, what? So he just started hanging around and showing up. And then he would tell me, I'm going to take you to King. I'm going to take you to King. And, and of course, me, I'm like... Don King doesn't want a female fighter, but sure enough, one day he made a phone call to me. Jesse Robinson made a call and said, King will see you. And uh, I got in the car immediately. And uh, at the time, I think his office was in Fort Lauderdale right. and went down to South Florida to see King. Never know. Amazing. And, and you had a meeting with him and he, and he obviously got on board with it. Um, did you feel at the beginning from right from the beginning that he was going to be remain committed to it because he did with you. You know, I, I feel like that King treated me just like a fighter. Like I didn't get special. Yeah. I feel like I got special treatment. I, I maybe somebody on the outside would say, Oh, you're getting special treatment. You just didn't realize it. But I think he put me out there and it was kind of like sink or swim. You're on your own, Christy. You know, yeah. I'm going to give you this opportunity, but you have to be ready and, and make sure that you can take advantage and, and make the most of this opportunity. Well, one of the turning points of uh, your career, and I, and I think you can make an argument for how people were kind of perceiving women's boxing, was your fight with Deidre Gogarty, which was an amazing match. And I urge anyone, if they can find it on YouTube or wherever, to go take a look at it, because it really was pretty extraordinary. You guys got a standing ovation uh, from the crowd after the fight. Uh, and it was, I think, uh, something that kind of put you on the map and made people understand, even more so, and made people understand that women's boxing could be very entertaining. Absolutely. I mean, to me, that was the fight that put women's boxing out there. Um, we were, you know, fortunate enough that Mike Tyson was there, but we fought like two fights before Tyson. So, yeah. you know, just about the time people were starting to get in their seats and, and get settled in to watch the fight, it was us. And I've heard so many stories um, from people say that uh, they were pushing each other or the, or the guys all in the green room back in the back were all like walking to the back and they didn't want to watch two women fight. 
And then as the fight heated up, all of a sudden, they're like elbowing the women out of the way. They want to get back to the front of the, the room so they can see the fight. So, you know, um, actually, after that fight, I, I went to my hotel room and my my room phone was full of messages. And it was full of messages from people like the J. Show, um, uh, the morning shows and all these like really famous stuff. And, and I almost started crying. I was like, why could somebody be so mean to me? And um, make all these pranks and so i my my PR guy from showtime showtime at the at the time and he's like christy it's not a joke you need to get down here you wouldn't believe you are the buzz at the mgm grand it's not they're not talking about tyson they're talking about you guys and how awesome a fight you put on pretty amazing you thought they were prank calls now as i think one might expect for sure um so you're you had this you were having this excellent career but um the darker side of things was that through the years, your husband, uh, James Martin, who was very uh, much a part of all this and, 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 and a dominant figure in many respects, um, was uh, creating a different alternative, a different universe for you that wasn't as pleasant as the success you were having in boxing. And um, finally, on November 23rd, uh, 2010, your life would change dramatically uh, on every level when he attacked you and um, stabbed you multiple times, shot you, and literally left you for dead. Um, obviously, it, an extraordinarily awful experience. Did you think at the time when it happened, you were going to even make it through? You know, as I went back that day, and Jim had been telling me for 20 years, if ever I left him, that he would kill me. Mm. Um, and when I went back home that day, I, I knew that that's what was going to happen. He was going to kill me. But I was to that point in my life that, number one, it really didn't matter. I was that low. It didn't matter to me if I lived or died. And, um, and you know, basically, I was ready to die. So, But also, I was never going to be that person that lived looking over my shoulder the entire time you know, waiting for him to attack me or shoot me or kill me or whatever. I just couldn't be that person. I, in my mind, I had to go that day back to my house and either live through or die with whatever he had to give out. And, and that's what happened. I mean, I, uh, by the grace of God, uh, somewhere during the middle of the attack and the attack actually lasted about 45 minutes. Oh. Um, the switch flipped and, and instead of not caring if I lived or died, no, I, I told him, um, in, in very blunt words, you can't kill me. And, and I meant it as much as I meant that, you know, as much as the sun came up this morning, I meant you cannot kill me. And that, that's just the way I felt it. And, and as I said, by the grace of God, I'm still here. And, and I feel that God left me here to, to help other people that are in the same kind of circumstances that I was in for so long. Well, the, uh, it is extraordinary story and the genesis of why he um, brutally attacked you was something that you had been wrestling with. Uh, you were coming out and you were going to marry uh, another woman, uh, Lisa, and uh, you were leaving him for her. Uh, and you had uh, thoughts at that time, you were still very, an active fighter involved in boxing. And even after that, you, you had thoughts in your mind, can I come out and will my life continue, you know, and once you got past the trauma and survived and he got put in jail, um, you were left with the idea that this coming out for me, what does it do? How does the public look at me? Uh, how was that 
difficult for you to wrestle with after you got past all this trauma? Well, you know, to sneak out of the closet, I clearly broke, you know, boom, bust the door down and here I am. Um, but the thing is with Jim, I really didn't leave him for a woman and um, I, I just left him. Yeah. And, and Lisa okay. and I, we fought each other in 01 and then we, we reconnected and uh, well, we had always been friendly with each other. Then, then, then we so got her, married. Her relationship really came after because it's been more reported that yeah, it was the genesis yeah. of that. So that came afterwards, huh? Right, right. Now, Dan, so um, yeah, I was just leaving him and but but at the same time, all those years he had told me how the boxing world hated me anyway. But mm -hmm. if they find out that you're gay, they're gonna really hate you. Uh, okay. And not just the boxing world, your family and your friends, everybody. And so, you know, I just I just stayed I stayed married to boxing. And then finally I was just to the point of I really wasn't married to boxing anymore because I was cheating on boxing with drugs. And um I, I just you know what? I'm just going to be me and live and, and let people, they're either going to be on board or they're going to not. And so I have to say that I have had great support from the boxing community uh, since the shooting and stabbing. And it's, I mean, I don't know what people might be saying behind my back, but I'm to me, they're, they're probably more friendly now than they were before because all I hear is Jim was such an ass and we hated him. And I'm like, why didn't, you know, if, if more people would have spoken out and told me that um, maybe I would have moved sooner, but he was going to try to kill me no matter what. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's <laughs> the whole episode and story about it is just a, a traumatic one. And uh, you, 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 you ended up changing your life for the better, which is extraordinary. And something that most people would be find astonishing is, am I correct? Five or six months after that attack, you were back in the ring? Yes, sir. I was actually scheduled to fight um, three months later. I was supposed to fight on the... Um, Oh, it was Kodo and uh, Mayorga. I was supposed to fight on that pay-per-view show, and that was in March after being shot in late November. But Miguel Diaz was training me at the time. I was in Vegas and sparring with a young amateur kid. And Miguel really wanted to get at me because he wanted to make sure I was okay mentally. And not thinking that the rib that Jim had shot me through was was maybe still damaged. And he yeah. hit me on the rib, broke the rib too. And uh, so it knocked me out of that um, that big opportunity to fight on pay-per-view. I ended up fighting on Chavez Jr. show. Um, so yeah, it was like six or seven months later. I, I still ended up fighting. But fighting on Chavez Jr., after seeing him, you know, I fought on just seniors cards with Jr. coming in on Buffalo's shoulders when he was probably six or seven years old. I'm like, wow, maybe I've stayed around a little too long. <laughs> that was a tip-off to you, perhaps. Well, you, you were... Um... You, as you said, you hardly gave up on boxing and uh, uh, you are now uh, promoting boxing and uh, and not just promoting. You've been doing shows on a regular basis. And I know you have one uh, coming up that's really important to you for a number of different reasons, uh, not just uh, as a as a promoter, but also in terms of what it entails. Tell us about your your coming event. Right. We, we actually, we have a show. Let me give them all a pl little plug and then we're going to talk about the, the important oh, Okay, ones. you got uh, some important. before the April one. Okay, good. Yes, January 30th, we're going to be in Myrtle Beach. And that'll be my first time to Myrtle Beach, but uh, I have a, a lot of West Virginians, a lot of people excited about coming to Myrtle Beach. Um, my main event is Victor's, a kid I just signed and, and it's his hometown. So, you know, it's exciting for him to be able to fight in front of his hometown fans and, and 
family, friends, you know. And then we're going to come February 12th, be my first time back to Orlando, Florida. Oh. So I'm excited about that. I have uh, Richard Rivera, Popeye. Uh, he's like 18 and 0, cruiserweight. He's, he's a good fighter, a great, great guy. I, I love him. He, and he understands marketing. The fight that I really, really am excited about is April 10th here in Vero Beach. We're doing a black tie affair for uh, domestic violence awareness where it's fundraising and uh, we're only going to do about four or five fights. They'll be, you know, very competitive, good fights, but we're also going to have a little, a little memorabilia auction. Um, we're going to have a couple people come in and speak that between fights. So they're only going to talk maybe yep. three to three to five minutes. Um, but just to make it an event and make it an event that people want to come to the next year. And, um, and, and just right. to bring more to domestic violence. And as I tell everybody, my whole thing is domestic violence isn't always about bruises. If I would have had bruises and black eyes and cuts and things, I could have gone to my dad and said, look what's happening to me. I could, but, but because Jim's abuse was more emotional and mental and control, it's harder to explain and it's harder for someone that hasn't been in that situation to understand it because you know an example is every time something good happened I mean I'm the, on the cover of Sports Illustrated I'm so excited and Jim wants to just like bust my bubble and tell me how it's because of him I mean no it wasn't because of him it was because Deirdre Gogarty and I had a hell of a fight that's why I was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and, um, you know, in anything and every, the reason I was with Don King was all about Jim Martin, you know, and, and um, after a while, after you hear that for so long, so long, so long, you start believing it. And that's where I was. I, I believed him. I believed him that, that it wasn't about me. It was about him and that no one liked me and that I really wasn't all that. Not that I think I'm all that, but, you know, right. I think I can fight. A bit. I think I had some pretty good skills. Um beat me down and that those are just that's a whole nother thing of domestic violence that people don't understand do you think that's a part of it that uh and you're saying to raise awareness that um there are many women who uh who suffer that kind of domestic violence and it's a little harder for people to get the gist of it absolutely i mean with the whole control and um the emotional beat down, uh, financial, financially, how many right. women yeah, that's, that, that's uh, a good maybe point. if they that's do a work, they don't money. And so they're, they're held there. They're held there because they don't make the money, which, you know, I, you could look at in my situation and say that, that even made my situation even more crazy. I was the one making the money. Right. And I stayed in the abuse. Uh, and uh, hopefully, by sharing my story and, and just bringing more awareness to different forms of domestic violence that uh, I'll, I'll save somebody. You know? So they can go on your website uh, for your fights and get information about that April fight uh, and all your other boxing uh, matches as well. Uh, and the, and that will, the money raised from that, of course, will go to a great cause as a promoter. Uh, first of all, what led you to the idea that that was the part of the sport that you would most want to be involved in? What was it that, that drove you to even put that hat on? I, I'm not sure that I ever really decided I wanted to do that, but I, I, I actually had a stroke after that fight. Uh, I was talking about on the undercard of Chavez Jr. I broke my hand in nine places. They put me to sleep. And uh, during the surgery, I had a stroke. 
So me being hard headed and thinking, you know, thinking like a fighter, I thought I could come back and have another fight and get that 50th win. But, and who else would be the, a perfect opponent, but Mia. And, uh, on, yeah. when, I, when I lost to Mia and, you know, I'm sorry, Mia, but when I lost to Mia St. John, I, I knew I, I was done. Boxing was finished for me. And um, the minute that the, fi- the final bell rang, I took the microphone from the ring announcer and said, that's it. You've seen the last that you'll ever see Christy Martin in the ring again. Um, so the uh, training, I tried to train a couple fighters. They don't want to work as hard as I think you should work. Uh, they don't have the dedication fighters across the board. And then, especially when you're talking about low level fighters, they just don't get it. They don't know the hard work you have to put in. So I thought the next uh, step is to be a promoter. And again, even with being a promoter, I, I feel like I started out as a four round promoter. Like I did four round fighter. I'm up to maybe, you know, I, I think I'm about to hit eight round. I'm, you know, I think 2021 <laughs> is going to be a great year. And, uh, you know, maybe we're going to have some, uh, we, we've been streaming all the shows. I'm getting closer and closer to uh, signing a good fighter. I had, you know, I have a couple of guys on my, my roster and we're going to get that one. It's going to make a break for us. All right. Well, uh, it, it, as you point out, you have to put the work in to figure out, you know, how to do it. And you are now, uh, as a, a woman who helped pioneer the sport, looking at women's boxing and um, what, women's MMA made some amazing strides. And I think the success of that has started to trickle into women's boxing in some regards. Do you see progress being made in uh, in 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 how women's boxing is um, getting more platforms and getting a little bit more support? I think, I, I think women's boxing is getting a little more support. Um, I don't see you know I haven't seen like great leaps and bounds since right. since my career. Um, but I, I think it's getting more opportunities. There's more women getting opportunities. Um, I have to say, you know, Dana White back in the 90s during my career, he was, I would never use a woman. I would right, never put right, a woman right. fighter out there. And Ronda Rousey, the biggest star that he had at one time, and really, in my opinion, is the one that turned him around and off, I mean, onto using women uh, MMA fighters. Um, but they're doing great over there in, with the MMA. And I, I wish we had, I think we need that personality in, in women's boxing. You know, it's not just about, as you know, it's not just about how good you fight. You have to be able to market yourself, connect with the fans. And they have to want to see you fight. And, and I think we're still trying to, to find that. Maybe it's Katie Taylor. Uh, I don't think we've seen her enough. Um, but so far, I, I, you know, that's what we're missing for women's boxing. Yeah. And next week, uh, in fact, on our next show, I'm going to have Amanda Serrano on, who's a fine champion. Uh, and uh, we're hoping that she and Katie Taylor will, will hook up at some point. They were very close to making that fight before. And that would be a, a match, certainly, that would be. Um, of interest to people. You must feel some sense of pride though, when you see, when there are times when, uh, I mean, we've seen some, some uh, women's boxing uh, that has taken center stage. And when you see it, I imagine you, you get a certain feeling like, Hey, I, I played a hand in, uh, in that happening. I, I, so, and, and um, I, I think so, you know, I was, if they could just send me like 10% of their check would be really nice, but you know, I can't convince anybody <laughs> they should um, but no, I, I think we kicked down some doors and, and made it a lot easier for, for this next generation or this generation that's out there now of women fighters uh, to be more accepted and to have better opportunities. Uh, so, so yeah, of course. It's, it's, I, I'm, I actually, the boxing writers named the Women Fighter Award 
uh, Christy Martin Female Fighter of the Year Award. And, and I got to go to the first dinner and I was like, oh, this is so touching because most people don't get an award named after them until they read to actually <laughs> be able to and give the award away. Uh, And you and and I I would be remiss, remiss without congratulating you for being a Hall of Famer. Now you are now a Hall of Famer, which is uh, extremely impressive. And congratulations for that. That's very exciting. I mean, way way back in the day, 1996, I was the Grand Marshal for the parade. But that was you know the fight with the Gogarty fight had happened in March. And then the Hall of Fame, of course, always happens in June. So I was invited to come to the Hall of Fame and, and to be the Grand Marshals. And honestly, at first I said, no, I don't want to do it because I was so intimidated by those guys. But I'm so glad I did. And, and I got the opportunity to meet guys like Carmen Basilio, Willie Pip, Archie Moore. I mean, of course, Frazier and Hagler and Hearns and all those guys. That's, that's something that, you know, money can't buy that. doesn't matter. You can't buy those experiences. No, that's for sure. Well, I wish you the very best in your promoting endeavors. Um, people go online. We have your website up there and they can go on and check out the matches you have upcoming. Obviously, 2021 with hopefully we'll be getting past uh, the restrictions of the pandemic and hopefully people will start getting healthy enough for us to do that. Um, and that will help for your endeavor as well as everybody else's. And I uh, uh, wish you the best in this new occupation of yours and uh, anything I can do, I am uh, want to be supportive of it. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on, on board for the show. Thank you so much. And I'm sure I'll see you ringside here in the next near future. Absolutely. Take care, Christy. So it was an interesting conversation, to say the least, with Christy Martin. And um, even just hearing her revisit uh, all the harrowing experiences she went through, uh, suffering, uh, you know, a murder attempt by her husband, uh, was fairly dramatic, even now, hearing her talk about it. It really, it, it's amazing. And she is such a great interview. She doesn't lay there. She does not hide anything. When you're no. talking to her, it is the real, there's no emotion left unturned. No, she was, she tells you, and some of it, she says, it's kind of matter of factly in a certain way, but, uh, but she is uh, open about, uh, you know, about her life and uh, what has transpired. And uh, the good news is that she came out the other side of it. Now, as we talked about uh, is, um, you know, uh, has a, a good and fruitful life that includes uh, her doing the boxing promotions. Uh, we get your questions on Twitter at Al Bernstein. We want you to keep sending them. And uh, we got a couple more to, to answer, don't we? We do. Um, Kevin McTeague asks, how does Ryan Garcia match up against Davis, Haney, and Lopez in the uh, an amazing division? Yeah, that's an interesting question. You know, Ryan Garcia, of course, with that win over Luke Campbell, in which he got up off the map to win the fight and uh, to knock out uh, Luke Campbell, to stop him with a, a body shot that was resounding uh, and made some people think of the body shot that Bernard Hopkins landed that uh, knocked out. Ryan Garcia's promoter, Oscar De La Hoya, some years ago, <laughs> which is ironic. And, you know, uh, 
Ryan Garcia, at age 22, showed us a lot in that fight. He showed us poise and grit against a very good fighter in Luke Campbell, a fighter who is like, you know, a notch down from the, 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 the top four or five lightweights, but a very good fighter who went the distance with Lomachenko and Jorge Linares, two terrific lightweights. And we did find things out about Ryan Garcia, but we know that at age 22, he's still a little bit of a work in progress. And the question is, can he immediately jump in against those men that were mentioned in the question? Uh, he is the mandatory challenger now, or one of two mandatory challengers, to Devin Haney, who is also a young fighter, who, by the way, also is somewhat untested against A-level opponents, though he has a title. And so uh, the question is, can Ryan Garcia, the power puncher, deal with Devin Haney, the very slick boxer? Certainly, uh the, the fast hands of Devin Haney and the combination punching will be an issue for Garcia. And he's going to have to walk down uh, Devin Haney and he's going to have to cut the ring off on him. And the question is, will Devin Haney be able to deal with the kind of one punch power that uh, Ryan Garcia has? We may get to see that fight in 2021. And I hope we do. It would be, a, a, I think, a very interesting matchup. As to the other main lightweights, Gervonta Davis and Teofimo Lopez, they bring a different challenge to Garcia because they too are big, powerful punchers. We know that Davis is a, a superb puncher. We just saw him get a knockout of the year against Leo Santa Cruz, albeit a, a Leo Santa Cruz who's move, moving up in weight. But still, we've seen Gervonta Davis's power at 130, and we believe it will translate at 135, even against other 135 pounders. That remains to be seen, but he can punch. We know that Teofimo Lopez can punch well at 135. He knocked out Richard Comey, who was a top lightweight, and uh, showed power in, in spots against Vasily Lomachenko, who, of course, also was stepping up to 135. Um, so Lopez and Gervonta Davis present a different uh, challenge for Garcia. Garcia was knocked down by Luke Campbell. He did get up. But Luke Campbell is certainly not the power puncher that Tifima Lopez is or even Gervonta Davis. Uh, and so I, my inclination is that the right step for him, if he's going to fight one of those men in 2021, I think Devin Haney's probably the right one. Uh, and we'll find out. We'll get to find out where he fits in to the upper echelon of the lightweight division. And the lightweight division, Garcia, a lot of people talk about him being the next super charismatic fighter to come out. And he's surrounded by some great talent in the lightweight division. Could that division be the welterweights of the 1980s, potentially? Yeah, you know, it, all all of those fighters, uh, Devin Haney, Tiafimo Lopez, certainly, Gervonta Davis, certainly, and Garcia, they all bring, I think, something special to the dance. And and all of them uh, have, uh, you know, pretty dynamic, uh, for the most part, uh, dynamic personalities. And they're also, you know, exciting in the ring. So uh, I think that, that that division has the potential to be a very, a very, very special one. Okay. And our next question, and I'm going to start this off. This question is from Blair Tobin, and it's about the Hagler-Hearns fight. And he talks about watching it from a... From a um, 
pay-per-view closed circuit venue and i watched it in salt lake city sitting behind mark eaton the utah jazz center who was ah. seven foot four did you get and weighed 280 anything? pounds <laughs> i didn't see a lot of it no, but blair's question <laughs> how electric was it sitting ringside and calling Hagler hearns i watched it at a closed circuit venue and it was a huge buzz that was in the air ah well without mark eaton in front of me i had a little better chance to see the fight than you did <laughs> Uh, and it was pretty remarkable. You know, that fight came only five years into my broadcasting career. I started in 1980 at ESPN and I had done the Hagler Duran fight, Roberto Duran, uh, a couple of years before, which was amazing. That was only three years into my, my time as a broadcaster. And this was five years in. And so here I was at a fight that felt even more electric than the Duran Hagler fight. And the Duran Hagler fight was pretty pretty important fight. Uh, and outdoors at Caesars Palace in their outdoor venue, the setting was amazing. Uh, clearly both these fighters were, you know, at the top of their game. And, uh, and, and I, on top of all that, on the broadcast, I was working with Kurt Gowdy as the host and Al Michaels as my play-by-play -play partner. So that was pretty amazing. I felt like I was working with kind of, you know, broadcasting royalty. And uh, and it was an extraordinary night. And on that night, when they did the walk-ins, I when they both got into the ring, for just a moment, I I took my headsets off, um, and I just looked around to get the feel of the moment, and how extraordinary it was. And since then, I have done the exact same thing at every single fight I have broadcast because I want to get that moment. I want to drink that in, understand how lucky I am to be sitting there and doing it and uh, and just feel the moment. And it started, you know, at that fight. And of course, what ensued in that match was so dramatic and so exciting that it created certainly one of the most exciting nights that I've had in my 40-year career. And uh, it's a night that I will never, ever forget for sure. Well, uh, we have um, uh, a chance. We want to, to certainly talk about Tom Yankello. Yeah, we do want to talk about Tom. Yeah, Tom Yankello, uh, who in his world class boxing uh, channel, which uh, is uh, a terrific channel that you guys get to see uh, not only uh, videos that talk about the how-to of boxing for young amateur boxers, but also, uh, you know, some of what he puts out there uh, gives you tips and, hi and hints about what how famous boxers go about their business and what they utilize in the ring. And uh, you, can, you can both learn about boxing and be entertained over at Tom Yankello's World Class Boxing Channel. So um, head on over there uh, when you get an opportunity on YouTube uh, to see that. Uh, I was going to say that we, we're going to be privileged next, in our next show to talk to uh, current day women's boxing champion, Amanda Serrano, who is a terrific fighter, uh, multiple time world champion, uh, and a delightful person. And we're going to get a chance to visit with her about uh, her career and the state of women boxing, women's boxing right now, and male boxing as well. She has many opinions on uh, the overall boxing scene. 
And uh, we're going to get a chance to visit with her uh, next time on uh, Al Bernstein Unplugged. So, Trip, I'm happy that we got to start out uh, with a new new episode for 2021, and this should be a fine year. It should. And I'm going to sneak in one more question, if you don't mind. Oh, These, okay, go this ahead. Is such a- Great question. Shea Simmons, if Crawford can't get his wish list of Spence or Pacquiao and ends up with Porter, would this be a one-sided fight, a KO win for this his resume, and would it make an argument for being number one pound for pound? Oh, interesting question. Um, and in the question, it kind of presumes that in that scenario, Crawford would, have, would beat Sean Porter and do it convincingly, which is very much in question. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that he for sure thought it was going to happen, but he, he, when he was theorizing, obviously, in the question, he was, you know, saying it, what would, how would that, you know, enhance Crawford? Uh, the actual doing of it is not going to, would not be easy. And by the way, I, while we all want to see Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford fight, the Porter fight is my second choice above Manny Pacquiao. Uh, I think uh, that Sean Porter is a handful for any welterweight in the world. And by the way, is capable of beating any welterweight in the world. And that includes both Spence and Crawford. You know, his fight with Errol Spence was razor thin. Could have gone either way. He fought brilliantly in that fight. He would, in my opinion, be a true challenge to Terrence Crawford. Uh, and it would be very interesting to see how that fight played out. If Terrence Crawford were to beat uh, Sean Porter, in my opinion, it would enhance him because Ter- Sean Porter would certainly be the best welterweight that Terrence Crawford has ever faced by a country mile. And, uh, and, and so if he got a chance to fight him and if Terrence Crawford beat Sean Porter in any way, shape, or form, whether it was a close win or it was a, 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 or a dramatic win, and if it was a dramatic win, that would certainly enhance his standing uh, and his you know, feelings about being the best pound for pound or, and, maybe the be- and, and if that were true, the best welterweight pending his fight with Errol Spence. Uh, it would be it would be dramatic for for Crawford. So yeah, I think a win over Sean Porter, if he got it, would be uh, would be would be big. And and as I say, the Sean Porter fight uh, is my second favorite fight for uh, for uh, Terence Crawford after the Spence fight, which we're all hoping for in 2021. So we got it. We did get all the questions in, and good for you for uh, making sure that I didn't skip somebody. <laughs> That's that's your your special talent trip. You know, you got to keep me on the straight and narrow. Um, Anyway, our thanks to uh, Chris uh, and everybody at uh, Let's Do Something Productions for making this show possible. Uh, Thanks to you, Trip, for uh, your fine work co-hosting. And uh, we'll see you next time with our special guest, Amanda Serrano. 